Welcome to Marketing Demystified, the podcast that connects the dots for business leaders to drive revenue through effective marketing strategy. We chat with marketing experts on different topics that will help you ramp up your revenue. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Marketing Demystified, the podcast, is presented to you by Growgetter, your partner in growth marketing. And here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. Are you ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered with actionable tips that will transform your marketing game? You're in the right place. Welcome to Marketing Demystified. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi, CEO and co-founder of Growgetter, your growth marketing partner. Now, AI is certainly hogging the headlines and has been for probably the last year, and AI is advancing constantly. So when used right, it can help us be more efficient, do better marketing, but how? Let's find out from Kathy McPhillips, Chief Growth Officer at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this. Me too. This is such a big, important topic right now and one that I think a lot of businesses are really struggling to wrap their head around. And so I think the fact that the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute even exists is incredible. And I think we're going to learn a lot from you today. Well, thanks. Yeah. So maybe just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about the Institute and how it came about? Sure. So Paul Reitzer, our CEO and founder, he started, um, he had owned an agency for many, many years, um, 16 years, I believe. And he loves space. He loves technology. And over 15 years ago, he started reading about artificial intelligence. And as as his agency was scaling, he was looking at the things AI could do or had the potential to do. And he said, oh my gosh, this might actually help me scale my agency and help us focus on things we love doing and take away some of the rote repetitive tasks. So as he was trying to implement some of these tools in his business, it turned into this side project uh, and then it just became a, its own business, its own entity. So in 2016, the Institute was born and separated from the agency. In 2021, Paul sold the, sold the agency and now he is full-time at the Institute. And now there are seven of us on our team and we are growing at a pretty nice pace at this point. Wow, I bet. I think it's incredible just how long the Institute has been around, how long AI has been around and has been something that can help scale marketing. But really the last 12 months has been, you know, probably with the launch of ChatGPT, put it into so many more people's hands and as a result into conversations. Like, have you noticed a big difference in the conversations over the last 12 months or so? Absolutely. So in 2019, Macon, our marketing AI conference, it was the first year. And actually at the time I was working at the Content Marketing Institute with Joe Polizzi and that whole team. And Joe asked me, would you like to go to Paul's event? And I said, I do. And I left there with some, I was like, okay, I see it. I don't know how to implement it just yet, but I think this is something. Mm -hmm. And it was more inspirational, aspirational. Like, I think we can do some of these things. How can we do this more in our businesses? But there really wasn't a tangible in my eyes, it really was hard for me to figure out how to really start implementing it. And like you said, November 30th, 2021 or 2022 changed everything. ChatGPT got the conversation started on people looking at it and saying, oh, that's AI. It's not as scary as, or as daunting as I thought. I can do this for my business. What other ways can AI help me? So I think, like you said, the past 10, 11 months have been, it's just been, it's been so much, so much more than we ever thought. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is really exciting. I think it's just uh, people need to figure out how, how to apply it. And so, you know, what are you seeing? What are some of the applications for AI and marketing today? Like, how are people using it? Maybe right or wrong. Um, what, do, what are you guys seeing? Well, I'll start with the wrongs. I think that's it's a very quick answer. <laughs> if you're using it and not looking at what the output is and just publishing a blog post or doing something with data without having that human in the loop, you're doing it wrong. So I think that's just very plain and simple. If you're thinking about, if you're using it and you're, like I said, verbatim, if you're not questioning data, if you are not, um, if you're trying to get it to do everything for you, you're not doing it right. Um, you know, and I think from the Institute standpoint, the reason I like it so much is because I came into it as like, I am our demographic. We are, I'm the person we're trying to reach, trying to reach marketers who are trying to grow in their businesses, who are trying to, whether they, whether they've been in their career for one years or 30 years like me, um, how can I start changing some of my, the ways I've been doing things and letting this AI help me. So I'm doing things like helping produce our podcast and I am not a podcast producer and I'm able to edit videos. I'm able to produce the podcast. I'm able to help it help me with some social shares and do things like that so I can focus on the things, parts of my job I really love. So it's helping me do some things faster and more efficiently. It's filling a knowledge gap, like I said, with our podcast production. And it's helping me focus on being strategic, being creative. So I think those are the things I really focus on. You know, what we say, if it's data-driven, if it's make, trying to make a prediction or if it's repetitive, there's really probably an AI use case there for you. So it's might, you know, look into tools that could help you with those things. Yeah, that's a that's a great tip. I think what you said about, you know, if there's no human involved, then you're using it wrong. Like Absolutely. you definitely need to participate in the process and not just deliver. And I think like, you know, my own personal preference, we don't really use... AI to create content as much as we use it to optimize it, whether that means like, you know, injecting some different tone into it or editing it or maybe restructuring it or something like that. But really that human touch of like the starting point needs to come from humans. Um, it's just, that's my own personal preference, but well, you're I mean, right. you know, we on our, our team, so we just had two new hires. So now we're at seven people, but even a month ago we were at five people. Mm -hmm. And at our event, we had a picture of the five of us on stage at the end of our conference. And I am using that photo in a presentation I'm doing in a few weeks. And it's Paul journalism major, Kathy journalism major, Tracy journalism major, Mike, former editor, Tamara marketing major. So none of us are data scientists, analysts, we don't want AI to write our content. We like writing the content. We're trained on writing content. So we're not using it for our blog posts for our long, long form content, but we're using it for repurposing. We're using it for outlines. We're using it for not staring at a blank page and just helping us get through a little bit of, you know, writer's block. We are not using it to actually write because we love writing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to focus on using the AI to help you in places you don't want. And if say AI becomes a great writing tool, if you love writing, then just don't use it. You know, it doesn't have to replace everything. It just re replaces the things that we want it to help us with and augment the work that we're doing. That's such great advice to like, let it free up your time to do the things that you actually really enjoy doing and don't necessarily, you don't have to automate things that you want to spend your time on. Right. Um, but what are some of those tasks that AI can automate that used to require extensive human effort and and maybe it is subjective based on the things that you want to be doing but do you have some examples on how they can improve efficiency 
Sure. So this one actually was just from yesterday. So my daughter is a recent college grad and she was writing an article about marketing and social media. And she said, can you look at this for me? And it was yesterday and my day was jam packed. And I said, I can look at it this evening, but I can't look at it right now. But I have an idea for you. I, let's zoom for five minutes. She said, OK, so I took her into Anthropic's Claude tool, AI tool. And I said, she said, I'm trying to see if A, this is written well. And would you edit it for me? And B, are there any things in here that is there? Am I missing a piece of information I really should include in here? So I said, write out that prompt, put it into Claude and then cut and paste what you wrote and see what comes out. And the, the output was you did not include video, um, you know, social media and video. You did not include analytics. And there were a couple things. And then it rewrote a few things for her. And she was just like, oh, my gosh, where has this been all my life? What is the sorcery? So, again, she went through and she tweaked some things, but she didn't even know that existed. So I said, that's a good way for you to use this to um, take your own content and do more with it versus just using it to start from scratch. So that's an example I really liked. Um, that just came up yesterday. And then I use it for our podcast production, like I said, and I use this tool called Descript. And I'm able to upload the Zoom file of Paul and Mike recording the podcast. And at the beginning of the podcast, every week, Mike and Paul, you know, are you all set? You know, is this episode 63? Confirming some things um, before they get started. So when I bring the file into Descript, I'm then able to delete the words that Paul and Mike are saying that I don't want in there. I now I can edit videos. I'm not a video producer. I don't know how to do that. But now with this tool, I'm able to go in and I'm able to get the podcast, you know, get it recorded or get it output the way I want it to be. However, recently Paul asked me, can you, I need a speaker reel because he's been speaking a lot more. Obviously AI has become a hot topic and he is one of the leaders in the world on this. So he's been asked to speak a lot more and he always asks for a speaker reel. He doesn't have a great one right now. She said, oh, great. Can you do that? And I said, no, I actually can't. We need the professionals for that. So it's really important to know our own limitations so it can help me with our webinars and our things like that. But our big, big things, we need the professionals. So it's really important to make sure that, you know, you know that AI hey, can't do everything. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like there is probably a level of professionalism required for certain things and certain things that you can do just within an AI tool really quickly and easily. And, and I don't think that's any different from really any technology out there. Right. You know, there's been a conversation for years about whether things should be DIY or is that not good enough? And there are always examples where yes, DIY is good enough in this case. And this other case, we need some additional support and help and AI is sort of the same way. I absolutely agree. And what, you know, AI, when people are like, oh, AI, I don't want AI, but I'm like, if you're buying a CRM or an email platform or any technology, I think, you know, AI technology today is going to be technology in at least the next five years, if not the next two years. So all you're doing is looking at technology that's going to check all the boxes on what you need it for and fill a use case and fill a need and a, and a problem versus, you know, it's just tech. You know, so that it's important to look at it that way or to go to the technologies you're currently using and say, are there intelligent things I'm not using in this tech that and capabilities I'm not currently using? How can I be taking advantage of what this technology has to offer before you go out and just find something else? And in the next six, 12 months, I think all the tools we're using are going to have a more intelligent component to them if they don't already. Yeah, that that's you bring up a really interesting point, because I see features popping up in all of the 
like my entire tech stack, right? right. Uh, like, oh, here's a new AI feature. Some we just saw something in our um, the back end of our website that was like, oh, here's a new AI feature, and some of them work quite well, and some of them work really, really poorly. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how they develop over the next six to twelve months because I think. It, rightly so, all of these platforms are trying to incorporate AI, AI into their offering, and some are doing a better job than others. So there's really a need to kind of like play around with it, see how it works, don't be afraid of it, experiment with it. But it goes back to your point of the need to have a human involved, because sometimes the output is really not great. <laughs> so you have to be careful. You do. And, you know, to your point about some of the technologies not being great right now, check back in a month. You know, so many of these technologies are moving in real time live for whole, everyone to see. So because they have to, because ChatGPT came out and everyone's like, oh my gosh, wait, we actually had that ready to go, but we weren't ready for prime time, but they have to do it now because everyone else is, and they just need to let their customers and their prospects know that we, we're, we're on this, but we're doing this, we're iterating as you are learning about this too. So every tool, you know, like I said, we're using one right now and I'm like, it's okay. It's giving me a little bit, but I feel like it's just getting better and better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are the advantages of being those early adopters. You can, you could just see them improve and see them get better. Right. Uh, the video applications that you talked about, I love so much because I like you, I'm, I'm not an editor myself. I can, I can get into iMovie and play around, but it typically takes me a lot of time because it's not my expertise and some of the tools I found to create video or to edit video have been amazing. Um, you mentioned Descript. We've been using one called Opus. Oh my gosh, I love Opus. <laughs> right? I mean, we'll take this episode after our conversation and drop it into Opus and have all these incredible clips that we can use. Um, and, you know, it's not perfect. It definitely needs some editing and some tweaking and some, you know, maybe fixing typos on the transcripts, but it, it works so much more quickly than I could to create that content and, and, and how amazing. And again, we are creating the content together right now by having this conversation. Um, but at the, the output um, and the kind of like little snippets that it creates from it or something I could never do in the amount of time that it does. And you're in a, you know, you're working for a company. I'm working for an AI company. We can't wait a week for this stuff to be out. Right. And Opus, it's not perfect. Like you said, nothing's perfect, but we're getting the word, we're getting it out there. And I feel like, I don't know if it was a COVID thing or just marketing and moving at a fast pace, but I feel like a little, sometimes the imperfections are just, we've got a higher um, threshold for being okay with, a, you know, things not being perfect. So in YouTube shorts and Instagram stories and all these things, it doesn't need to be like the most polished thing in the whole entire world. And what Opus gives us is fantastic. And I can get it out quickly. And even things like, you know, when I first started using it, you couldn't upload your brand colors, you couldn't upload a logo, you couldn't do some things. And then like, boom, now you can. So it's getting better. It's gotten a lot better since I started using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a big fan, big fan. And yeah, I think there is more of a tolerance for human error in marketing these days. And it's just even more reason to get things out that are at 60% and work on optimizing them and getting better as you go. And that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> probably about agility and iteration. I was talking to you off before we started about a presentation I'm doing in a few weeks. And one of the things I'm talking about is when I first started my career, we talked a lot about, it was like, I, we wanted to be on broadcast TV and how much TV can we be on? What, how many rating points can we get? 
And once you book that schedule, it was locked in. And now with these tools, and it, I mean, this has been going on since digital marketing started, but you can stop and start things all the time. You can optimize things in real time. And we just have, now we can just try something. If it's not working, just stop doing it, do something else. So it's, we have that permission, I think, to let ourselves test out some things and make some mistakes and learn from them and get, grow, get even better. hundred percent. I think that's the, that's the beauty of, that's the exciting part of marketing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, try and fail and make something better. And, you know, that's the part I love because the things that worked yesterday just don't work today. And, and that's fun. That's, you know, it, it's boring if you're doing the same thing every day. So I like that there's, you know, some experimentation that yep. you get to do. So, Tell me about some of the ways that AI can generate or or uh, or optimize for marketing effectiveness. I mean, things as simple as A/B testing your subject lines on your emails. You know, write one, have AI generate one. You know, if you need to tweak the AI generated one because it's just not perfect, awesome. But like, put that through your. Um, CRM in your email database to see which one's resonating more. I did this with um, Macon last year where I wrote some copy and then I put it through AI and I said, can you, can you change this? And I was actually like shocked, like, okay, first of all, this was lightning fast. Mm -hmm. And second of all, it used words about our event and our conference that I necessarily wouldn't have used because even when I try to write differently, I usually always sound like me. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, so which one is going to resonate more with our customers and prospects? And it, all things equal, if it's giving me the same results, well, I'm going to save the time. So going through and, you know, just testing that out a little bit has been real fun. Um, there's a few tools where you could, it can customize the messaging specifically based on intent signals from your database, from, from your CRM. It could just not even based on personas. You don't have to build lists. You don't have to do any of this stuff. It just knows your database and it knows your member records and it could surface content or write content specifically to that person versus even having to identify personas. It's just fascinating on all the things you can do. It's like all the things you want to do that you just don't have time for that. It can, it just, it's intuitively learning and growing and iterating based on the signals that it's seeing and the results that it's seeing and the conversions that we don't have time to analyze because we have so much data. And it's like, where do we even start? So if you know what you want the results to be, AI can kind of just take it from there. And even things like optimizing your ad creative, you know, if you've run Google ads, you know that you're going in there every single day or you should be going in there every single day or every week or whatever your cadence is and checking your ads. But there are tools now can, that can do that for you as long as it knows what you're what you're trying to do. So there's just so much, you know, all these technologies that are so um, advanced and are doing the, these things for us are still very manual. It still needs us to tell the technology what we want it to do. And AI is alleviating a lot of that. Um, some of the human intervention. We still need to be in there. We still need to be doing those things, but it's it's learning about our customers and learning about what we need as we are learning too. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of a lot of the conversation that's happening in marketing around AI tends to be like more on the content side of like you know creating content or, or editing content or optimizing content, but actually the data piece is such a huge opportunity. And as you were describing, like you know, as long as the AI knows what you're looking for in your, say, Google ad performance, like what's the metric that you really care about improving in those ads right now? Maybe it's impressions, maybe it's click-through rate, whatever. Maybe it's conversion rate. As long as it knows, then you can take that task off your plate and have it do the, the evaluation and the data piece for you 
which is really, really powerful. So you can spend the time then optimizing what's working and what's not. Right. That's, I think, a piece that maybe is a little bit scarier or harder to wrap your head around maybe for a lot of the people that are using AI. Um, but maybe we can pull together a list of recommended um, tools that you're using and share that with the audience later on. Um, because I think that there's some things there's, you know, everybody's aware of ChatGPT, and then there's some bigger tools, but there's so many others that right. uh, like have great applications that maybe people just aren't even aware of. Yeah. And if you go to our website, which is marketingaiinstitute.com and type in the search box like AI and analytics, AI and social media, there are websites that'll surface. Um, you can do, but, or do that on Google. And there are other companies that are you know doing similar things to us and don't always get your, your information from one source anyways. So, um, you know, you can find the tools and, you know, it's going to get to a point even where, you know, if I say this tool is amazing. G2 is going to have a list of all those competitors. So it's like you can find those things. And so many of them are so similar right now. You know, the content, the generative AI is all built off the same large language model, or most of them are. So they're all very similar in what their output could be. They all have their little niches and their specialties, but it's really finding that the interface that you like best, the output that you like best. I was talking to someone about two different tools and I said, how are you different than this other tool that we both know? You know, both of these tools, I'm not going to talk about them. Um, but they said, actually, we've learned and we've talked with this company and we are built for more for teams and for technical writing. This other tool is much more creative than we are. And it's like, OK, that's really actually good to know. And I did not know that. Um, sometimes I'll have like three tools open. I'll put the same prompt in and I'll see which results I like better. And it's never consistent on which one I like better. So it's nice to have options on playing around with these things as we're as we're learning. Yeah, for sure. We've done that too, just internally with the team. It's like, you use this one, I'll use this one. Let's see what we get. And, you know, it's it's funny because there are definitely certain, even just like in the same category tools that depending on what your needs are, your prompt at that moment, one is better suited than another, which is just so interesting to see. Right. Um, Cause they're all trained differently. Right. So um, it's, it, you do definitely need to play around and experiment and find what, what you like the best. Mm-hmm. Now, we touched on this maybe briefly, but what are some of the limitations or risks that exist in relying too heavily on AI for marketing and, and how can people mitigate these risks? You know, I think um, I, we talked a few weeks ago um, as a team about like the Gartner hype cycle. I think we're at this point of inflated expectations. We think AI can do all these things. We, le we need less people. Um, it can pump out amazing content that's right and accurate and all these things. And it's like, it's just not, you know. Um, so like I said, taking that human out is a, is a bad move. I think, you know, looking at if really knowing the terms and conditions and privacy implications of some of these tools, like if you're in healthcare, HIPAA, you know, you need to be careful on where you're putting your data, even your content, you need to make sure, make sure what you're putting in there, you know, where it's going. Are you, is it training for future models? Are your data protected in any way? So really, really reading the fine, fine print is critical. Um, if you don't have a lawyer on your staff, make sure you have a legal team that you can work with to make sure they're reading all those for you and finding those things that you just don't know to look for. Um, and just kind of doing the right thing. You know, if it doesn't, if it seems like I shouldn't be doing this, you probably shouldn't be doing this. I mean, Jay Bear, um, you know, a friend of ours, he always is like, put it through that mom test, <laughs> you know, like, are you sure you should be doing this? So I think it's just a lot of, let's make sure we're doing this for the right reasons. Um, so I think 
we're still so early. We actually put up a responsible AI manifesto on our website that Paul wrote, um, just kind of woke up one morning with some inspiration. Paul's our CEO. And just like, let's make sure that we're using tools that we um, believe in what they're doing, that we are really being um, ambassadors and for our customers and, and just making sure we're taking good care of everything that we're doing. And there's like 12 more other things, but it's all around that same idea of like, let's make sure we're the stewards of all of this. And that, you know, there are people that are setting out to use this the wrong way, but there are more of us trying to use it the right way. So let's make sure that the more of us are leading that charge. Yeah, I think you bring up some really, really important points. And I've had these conversations over the last couple of weeks that just have sort of blown my mind a little bit about how companies are approaching the use of AI because there are some risks. And to your point about understanding the terms and conditions, making sure your inputs are not training future models, if if you're putting in sensitive data. I've, I've spoken to a few leaders at different really large organizations who have kind of said absolutely no use of AI throughout the whole organization because they don't know how to control it yet. And there is fear that me as an individual working on a team that of a company of 100,000 people could be putting company secrets into these models or, you know, not be compliant for HIPAA, as you mentioned. And there's really a lot, a lot of concern and fear around the way that people are using AI and not knowing necessarily how an individual employee at your company is using it. And so I think companies are really trying to I think that manifesto is really interesting, like, but trying to, to, to put some guidelines in place because the answer is not don't use it at all. Right. right. It, it can't be, but it, a lot of people are really struggling to figure out how to put those guidelines in place. Yeah. So Wired Magazine has a generative AI policy that they put on their website. Um, the city of Boston wrote a really strong policy and Jasper just put up on their website, a generative AI policy template. So I would just try to find people are building them, people are publishing them. So find one and just edit it. You know, Jasper's is, I think it's under Creative Commons. You can just take it and edit it and use it. I think that's their goal is people start thinking about this as, as an organization and putting putting having the conversations within their within their companies. So I think the companies that um, a blog, another blog post that Paul wrote was um, your companies are either going to be AI emergent, AI native, or obsolete. So the AI native are the ones that are starting as soon as they um, are created, they're using AI is embedded in their organization. AI emergent are those companies that are starting to use AI more, embed AI more in their work. And the obsolete ones are the ones that are putting their head in the sand saying, we're not going to take part in this. So yes, you're right. There is a huge mistake for companies that just don't want to be part of it and just want to sit back and maybe it'll go away, but it's not going to go away. So it is important that companies start having these conversations. And there are some companies like VMware is a good example. Um, that's the only one I know that I can publicly talk about, but are building AI councils where there are folks in marketing, ops, HR, tech, um, IT, tech, where whomever within the company getting together and saying, let's get some policies in place. So like you said, people are A, a using it and B, not going rogue and using it and not knowing the implications of it. Right. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's, to your point, like trying to do bad, <laughs> do something bad by using AI, but it's just not having the guidelines in place. They don't know the risks and, you know, 
needs some policies in place. So that's great to know that there are some policies out there that people can look to for guidance and, and start to implement them in their own businesses. Well, even yesterday with my daughter, the example I was telling you, I said, have you guys talked about AI? Is there anything in place? Are you allowed to be even using this? She's like, I don't know. Mm. So I'm like, well, maybe you should just go to your team and say, I use this and I will stop using it if I need to. But do you know, is this something I'm allowed to be using? And she's writing about social media. So there's, not, there's nothing, you know, no trade secrets in there. But are there guidelines? Can they put guidelines in place on how they can be using this? Yeah, that's such an interesting point, too, because so I have a, a brother, a much younger brother. I won't tell you how many years, so I won't give away my age, but he's in college at the moment and studying engineering and doing a lot of coding. And the rule at the school that he's at is no AI. And I think that in the role that he's going to be in and the world he's going to be going into, he needs to know how to use AI properly and not to, you know, and a lot of the stuff is like, you need to be writing your own code. That's kind of the point is that you're learning how to write your own code. But I, I do think that you've got to teach people how to use it properly and, and what benefits they can get from it. Um, not just say it's a, a blanket, no use policy, but I think they'll figure it out as they go. It's still kind of new, I guess. But I mean, like, what about making an assignment where you're writing code and you're done using the AI to fix, to help you correct it or something? Exactly. Yeah. My son is writing, is fixing Python codes in, in some um, tech. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's like, he's like, I know I'm close. I'm like, right. But something's not right. What am I doing wrong? And it'll tell him. Mm -hmm. And he's not yeah. putting any data. You know, he's just trying to figure out what that line should be. Oh, and I think it can be used as an educational tool at that point, too, because Absolutely. when you do that and it serves up, hey, this is where you have an error, then you learn from that. And I think that's really powerful if, again, if used properly and if you have the right kind of guidelines in place for how to use it. I've actually used it to fix um, Excel formulas that usually I would call my dad. <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm like one comma off, but what am I doing wrong? So I'll write into chat GPT or whatever. I'm trying to do this. Here's my, here's what I'm doing. What am I doing wrong? And it'll tell me I'm like, that's genius. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not that different from maybe what I would have done five years ago is said, this Excel formula is not working for me. And I would pop it into a Google search and probably find a blog article that got me halfway there. And then maybe another blog article. So we're still kind of doing that same motion of like, if you can't quite figure out what you're doing, you might do some research to try to answer that question, but that might take you an hour to discover it. Whereas AI can save that time for you and, and help serve up that solution. And then you learn it and you do it the right way the next time. Um, that time savings is so valuable. It is. Now, um, how are you guys thinking about advancements in AI and, and how are they going to continue to shape the future of marketing? Like what are some of the emerging applications that are the most exciting or look the most promising to you? So I'm really stuck in my own little world of, you know, how can it impact my marketing right now? Um, I think a really good resource to turn to is we've got a podcast also called the Marketing AI Show where Paul and Mike, Mike's our chief content officer, they dive into, I don't know, 10 to 15 news stories a week saying, okay, Tesla is doing this. And you're like, okay, I'm a marketer. It really doesn't apply to me. But then when you, when you look at what they're doing, you're like, oh, maybe it does. And, you know, Microsoft is doing this and Google is doing this and OpenAI is, I mean, it's all these things that are happening and it's so much to keep up on. 
So rather than me trying to read stuff every morning, trying to figure it out, really like the podcast has become my educational arm of me keeping up on everything. Um, but it really is hard to keep up. And I think the next thing that we're seeing um, back to the privacy stuff is chat GPT. Um, all these things are built off of these large language models that are trained on all of this data. And one of the biggest concerns and reasons people are maybe slow to be moving is they're like, I don't want my data in there. I don't want them training on me. So people that are building models on their own and for on their own data and having it, you know, contained within their company, that's going to, I think, become the next big thing. And a lot of the companies that are building the large language models are realizing that and are now building things for these for companies to use. So they're still getting them from other companies, but they're kind of buying their own like white label, which might be the wrong word, but version of that so they can contain it within their organizations. Do you see that our companies needing to hire a new kind of skill set to be able to build those models internally or, or, or do you find that, um, you know, those people exist kind of in the current product or IT or, or um, other teams? We actually are working with a company locally on this right now about building out their AI roadmap. And we were talking to them yesterday, actually, and, you know, we're talking, okay, the tech is going to cost this much over the next 12 months. And you know, here's the trial period. Here's the next 12 months. We're starting with five people training on this tool. We're going to get to 150 by the end of 2024. Here's what that cost looks like over, over the next 12 months. And one of the questions Paul asked was, who on this team can own that? Who on this team can train our team? Who is going to be the one who's going to be the oversight on all of this? Do we need to add an expense of having a person come in? Mm -hmm. So I think figuring out what your roadmap is, figuring out what tools and tech you're going to need, and then figuring out, can we reskill someone on our team to do that? Or are we going to then need to go find someone else to either hire or outsource some of this stuff to, to help us figure it out? Yeah, I could definitely see that being a barrier if you feel like, you know, you meet all that criteria of wanting to build that model internally and just don't have the skill set to be able to do that. So right. um, that can be a challenge for sure. But I'm sure some of the bigger companies out there, <laughs> they don't have that problem necessarily. Or, or just finding the right person. Yeah. You know, just the head of IT or tech or whatever might not be the best person. It might be someone who really has a passion to be doing it, really understands all the moving parts of it, who's going to be using it, et cetera. So I'm not sure. I think we're all try trying to figure that out still, too. You know, at one point when ChatGPT first came out, someone's like, oh, we, we're going to need prompt engineers. That's going to be the next big job. I think we're all prompt engineers. I think, you know, we all have to know how to use these tools. So I think there's a prompt engineer role in like IT, but I don't think from a generative AI creating copy side of things that that's going to be a, a role. I think we all need to know how to use these tools. Yeah, I think I totally agree. I love that we're all prompt engineers. There's so many resources out there and workshops and courses on just prompting alone, um, which I think is like actually for me personally, is the difference between AI working for me and not is prompting well um, and being really specific and knowing how to prompt to get something actually useful out of AI tools because otherwise, you know, it can, the responses can be very generic or very, you know, lackluster. Um, so yeah, that, I agree. I think that's something that we all need to be learning how to do better. And I love the prompt guides because I think it's really helpful in kind of teaching you how to craft your prompt. But I think the best way to learn how to prompt is to just get in there and start doing it and just start 
iterating your question. And, you know, one example was social media posts. I'm trying to write social media posts about a certain blog post or the podcast or whatever it was. I need, you know, can you write me six tweets about this? And, and kind of very, very short and sweet. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I need it to be under 254 characters so I can include a link. Um, can you add in Paul and Mike's Twitter handles? Can you add this hashtag? Stop using so many emojis. <laughs> uh, and just all these things I'm asking it to do. And by the end, I was like, okay, save that prompt because that one seemed to be the right, I seemed to have everything in there that all my questions or all my things I wanted in there were answered. Um, so we have started to, I've started to build a prompt library for myself that I think at some point, I think our team's going to have this whether it's in a tool itself or within just even a Google doc, a shared Google doc that, you know, I'm trying to do this. Oh, wait, I actually did that last month. Here's what I did. Use this as your starting point. So we're just trying to learn how to um, prompt the machines better. Yeah, totally. And I think too, the, like the, the, the prompt for me, like for me, it's never one prompt. It's no, like no. a series of prompts. Like if you just put in one thing and then take the output and then move on, you're missing out on so much opportunity. And sometimes it's refining the output, but sometimes it's what's the next output. And uh, I know earlier in the in the the season on the podcast, we talked to Andy Christadina and he gave a very like step by step kind of like first build the persona, then ask it to do this, then ask it to do that, then put in this. And, you know, by the end of it, you have something incredibly valuable based on what you started with. But yeah, I think that kind of first, that first prompt is never enough. You definitely yep. need to do more. And I totally agree. The best way to learn how to do it is to just play with it and see what works. And the guides are good. I mean, I don't mean to knock on anyone's guides, but it does help you think differently, yeah. but you really need to get in there and do it yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I think this is such a huge and important topic and people are still figuring out how to navigate it and knowing that you're there as a resource and where people can get more information is, is super important. So thank you so much for uh, sharing all that with us today. Absolutely. This was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening in. I'm going to be back with two episodes next week. Um, I'll be speaking solo and one episode with Rand Fishkin of Spark Toro. We will see you then. <laughs>